Hello, my name is Casey Rogers, and I'm your host for the Emerging Writer Series podcast. This podcast is an exploration of what it takes for a writer to become a published author and how to sustain a professional writing career. Like many of you, writing is my passion, and I'm confident that I know how to write a compelling story. But what holds me back is the same thing that holds many other writers back. How do we navigate a system that is about finding a bestseller rather than finding the best work? There are obstacles to our success, and many of them have nothing to do with the quality of our writing. In the next couple of episodes, I'm going to be speaking with authors about their books and how and why they chose to write their stories within the frameworks of a specific genre. One reason why writers work within a genre is that it helps people to find your books. Another reason is that genre also gives the author kind of a blueprint of sorts because each genre has a specific set of rules to follow. We'll explore what the needs and expectations are within these genres and why one may be well suited for your project. In this episode, I'm speaking with Megan Elnico, the author of Chromaspace Conscript. This is the first book in a three book series. Megan is going to tell us about her book, which sounds really interesting because all the reviews that I've read about this book address how she breaks the rules but manages to keep it all together at the same time. And it also sounds like the characters that she's developed are just amazing. So I'm asking her to address this and also tell us a little bit about the genre itself as well as telling us about her game show podcast called Word Crash. Let's listen to Megan tell us about her work and all the other things she enjoys doing. So Megan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Also, I need to ask something. Is this your ploy? Embarrass me straight off and make me all self-conscious by saying all amazing things about the book? Not at all. I'm just in awe of people that can write things that are outside the box. I think a lot of people follow formulas. And when somebody can write something that's outside the box, but still keep it all together, it's just, I think that's the kind of writing we really need. So I am not in any way trying to embarrass you. I'm just really excited to hear more. Thank you. Everything people have said has been so ridiculously nice and positive. And I'm sure there's people who don't like my book, but they haven't said anything. So I think the worst feedback I got was somebody who said only for fans of deep sci-fi. And I'm like, valid. That's my target audience. So I'm not going to. That's not so bad. But let's not talk about people that don't know about your book and don't like your book. Tell me more about your characters and what made you decide to write in this genre. I want to address this for people that are interested in writing something in the genre and want to know more about what inspired you and where your creative mind went. Let's see, what were my influences? I think people are going to be expecting that I was inspired by some kind of foundational sci-fi, Asimov, Mm -hmm. the classics. Mm -hmm. But in the end, I wasn't exposed to any of that as a kid. We're all influenced by what we're exposed to when we're young. I was exposed to cartoons, TV shows, movies. So a lot of my inspiration comes from that. Oh, and comic books. 
those are my primary consumptions of media when I was young. Certainly people read books to me. My dad read The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings to me. So I was exposed to things like that. But the entire Chroma Space Saga, and yes, there are multiple books because <laughs> I have to. The first one's called Conscript. Mm -hmm. And a conscript is a person who is pressed into service into the military. They don't mm -hmm. want to be in the military, but they were drafted or somehow forced into the military, which is not a position you want to be in. Mm -hmm. So this book basically follows Jacob. He's been pressed into service. He wants out. But in order to get out, he's got to do three missions for Admiral York. And we join him just as he's abandoned on a desolate planet. It's his third mission. He should be done. Soon as this is over, he's done. He's out. But mm -hmm. instead, he has to find his way out now. So then it becomes a space opera. That's the genre. Mm -hmm. A rolling tale of adventures in space. If I was going to compare it to something as old as possible, it's influenced by things like Buck Rogers. Mm -hmm. you got, if you go way back. Yeah. But my primary influences were TV shows like Babylon 5, which was back when I was a kid in the 90s, just this foundational kind of TV show where you could have long running plots in a mm -hmm. TV show and it, it explore all kinds of ideas while still being a TV show. Mm -hmm. I was influenced by Farscape, another mm -hmm. really great sci-fi TV show and more comic books than I could possibly count. I got absorbed into a lot of different things and I've always been a little weird. So this idea that I wrote something outside the box, I don't even know what the box is. This is just my first story. Yeah, and that's what I really like. Thank you. But yeah, those are the kind of influences I had. X-Men, mm -hmm. yeah, a lot of things now that are movies. 20, 30 years ago, I was influenced by the original comic books, Star Wars, yeah, all that stuff. And Chroma Space brings together a lot of those ideas. I tend to tell people that it's some kind of cross between the Expanse and the Avengers, because mm -hmm. those are things people have had exposure to. Wow. Can you tell us a little bit about your character development and how you decided to create these characters? Fundamentally, I ask myself about character arcs, because if there's something that I enjoyed from any kind of long serialized format, like a TV show or a cartoon, it was the ones where characters change over time. So the idea that there's a character who does something, they're defined in a very structured way, they mm -hmm. have their status quo, and then something happens and they have to change, right? That's where I go. Someone's in this position, something happens. How do they change to cope with that? Because mm -hmm. in our lives, we are constantly coping with all kinds of new and strange. Yeah, we are. Events and information. And it changes us. You talked about things being very the same. There are tropes mm -hmm. and tropes are actually something you can never get away from. All the stories have been told, but now it's how you arrange them. And mm -hmm. so I look at taking a character that's defined as very standard and tropish. And then I have them go through something different hopefully mm -hmm. different, right? To use some of these tropes that are, to try to do some arrangement of tropes that's original. Mm -hmm. Maybe I succeed, maybe I don't, but if people enjoy it along the way, that's really all I'm going for. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's important to take that initial, very flat two-dimensional character and have them make choices that the reader can understand. And then more important that the reader can't understand and then have to justify it later. That's a really interesting point. Because 
there are a lot of books where you're in the head of the character. You hear every thought they have. And so the motivation is clearly laid out, but I like a little more mystery. Right. Now, some of that comes from a background in comic books where you can only do a shallow pass at a character mm-hmm. in 1632 pages. Everything is very shallow. So it takes you lots and lots of iterations to get into the heart of that. So I got to read a hundred comic books or something to get any kind of plot, 200. You got to invest years of your life in reading this month by month. And so the main character of the book, his name's Jacob. Mm -hmm. And when you first meet him, he's a little stiff. He's got some personality, but he actually doesn't remember much of his life. He's having problems, having memory issues. He can't figure out why. Mm -hmm. And you and Jacob discover his past as he's coming to terms with it as he's remembering himself. Oh, that's interesting. And so this is this, you're going on this same journey with Jacob as he Mm -hmm. develops himself again. And he tries to figure out who the heck he is. Mm -hmm. Also, how is he going to get home? He's trying to get back to Helen, the woman he loves. It's been multiple years that he's been in the military. Now he has no idea if has moved on, if she remembers Mm -hmm. him, he's gone through a lot of bad stuff. You find out that he spent some time in prison for a while because mm-hmm. he refused to serve. It's not the best situation for him to be in. And now he's got his work his way out of it. Mm-hmm. I would also prefer to zig and zag with the character. Mm-hmm. So there are other characters that start off. I also like characters that don't all just get along. Mm-hmm. Even if they're quote unquote, the good guys, even if they're the protagonists, people don't get along in real life. And I think it's important that they have problems. There's two characters who have significantly different beliefs about what history actually was. Mm -hmm. What happened on all these planets? Mm -hmm. What happened to this planet? What happened to that colony? One's like, one's from one part of space Mm -hmm. and says, no, this is what happened there. And another Mm -hmm. person says, oh, absolutely not. You have no idea. We know the truth on our side of the system. Sounds familiar. It's let me get into that for a second. Yes, so please do. This book published in 2021, mm-hmm. but I wrote it in 2009. So the things I was writing, this idea that people would be arguing over but what's fact and truth and what history actually says and have different sources and believe basically fundamentally different things about a world that everyone is experiencing was to me just fiction. Mm-hmm. But so much in the world has come down to this, this filtering and selecting information and it influencing how people feel in their daily life. I didn't think it was going to be so relevant, yeah, these interactions really between is. characters. So when I say I wrote it in 2009, I'm absolutely serious. I wrote it in 2009, 2008, 2009, something like that in one year. I wrote it in one year and then it sat because mm-hmm. I had no idea what to do. I didn't know if it was good. I didn't know how to edit. I didn't know anything. And so it sat around and I had heard you get an editor. Mm-hmm. So I did. I hired an editor. I think I went through five editors on my book before I found someone to actually help me. Mm-hmm. And it took 10 years, if not longer, to actually find someone who can help me. Mm-hmm. And a significant portion of that is because I was documented learning disabled when I was a child mm-hmm. and I was put in the lowest reading groups. And I was told, mm-hmm. and I was always told that language was my pain point. It's the thing I was the least good at. And so the idea that I'd ever grow up to write a book was just Mm -hmm. something that I just couldn't even imagine. No one could imagine that. I think the one person who could imagine that I had a high school 
English teacher who was able to see past some of the difficulties and look at the stories that I was telling Mm -hmm. and had some, had some belief in me. It really made a difference in my life that she felt that way. Mm -hmm. But I just decided one day that I was actually going to do it. I was working in Chicago at the time and I had a commute from the suburbs into the city on the Metro and it was a 40 minute commute. And I bought a netbook, which was at the time, a super cheap little computer that Mm -hmm. only did one or two things. And I would just write 40 minutes a day, twice a day on that train ride. And about a year I had my story. I say had my story, but really I had a hundred thousand words and I was told Mm -hmm. that your book probably shouldn't be more than a hundred thousand words. And I got through half of the plot that I had intended to. Yeah. So So I'm like, okay, (laughs) let's sum it up and I'll have a second book. Wow. And I also find it really fascinating. You're describing something that I think happens to a lot of people. Like I remember um, listening to somebody, I don't remember whether it was Captain Underpants or Diary of a Wimpy Kid. And he, same experience. Everybody told him he was never going to graduate or maybe he was dyslexic, but it was somebody that inspired him and he's been a huge success. So bravo to you, Megan. (laughs) Bravo. Thank you. And I want to call out my English teacher, yeah, uh, Rebecca Chance. Yeah. Miss Chance, who really liked the work I was doing, which was not something normally people thought it was silly. Mm-hmm. whatever I was writing. It was weird and it was silly. She actually thought that there was something there. And I mm-hmm. didn't get that again in my life Yeah. until I'm going to call out the second person to do yeah. that. And that's Aaron Gallagher. Aaron, we, we had a mutual friend. That's how I met Aaron. Mm-hmm. And I found out that they write books. And I was like, oh yeah, I have this book. And Aaron was like, hey, why don't you let me read it? I'll take a look at it because mm-hmm. you need an editor. I'm like, I've been through five editors. I don't know there's anything could be done with it. So this is how it went. I hear, okay, you know what? I'll do the first few pages and I'll show you what I can do. And we could talk about something. We talk about more. I'm going to read the first couple of chapters and then I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. And then later it's, I'm about 20 chapters. And by the time I finish the book, we're going to have this and that. I can give you an edited thing with this and that. And I'm just like, what? I don't understand. You, you, you went from a couple of pages to the whole book. And it, Aaron believed it me more than, than anybody else up yeah. until that point. Yeah. Okay. It's probably unfair to say didn't believe in me, mm-hmm. but was more enthusiastic yeah. about the thing I was doing than anybody else. Other people read it. They're like, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. But I need more than eh, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. I need, but Aaron had done it all before. I don't know how many books, but yeah. it's a ton of books. Yeah. And so uh, really that is what got the book published. Wow. I'd still, it'd still be sitting backed up on a hard drive and out in the web, but mm-hmm. no one would be reading it. For me, these characters are in my head just mm-hmm. all the time. And as far as I'm concerned, they've lived rent-free for too long. Get out there and do something for me. Get in that book. <laughs> I've been rent-free. <laughs> yeah, I get that. One thing I try to do mm-hmm. is when I tell stories from different perspectives, I actually try to embrace their different perspectives. So mm-hmm. something, and I, I don't even know that I did this on purpose, but when I go through and I read Conscript, one of the things I realize is that from Jacob's point of view, it's very much your standard space opera. But for these other characters, it's a buddy cop movie. I just realized that <laughs> Wow! Like, there's other people chasing Jacob. And for them, it's a buddy cop movie. Uh-huh. And somebody pointed this out to me 
because they were very fascinated by these two characters' relationship. And, and I'm like, I don't know. They start off not liking each other and they end up being going through the grudging respect all the way up to probably being friends by the end. And I, I, I guess that's the buddy cop movie, <laughs> right? Like many people, I read the book, Save the Cat, which is a fantastic book. It's about writing movies, but mm-hmm. it talks about different tropes and things like that, that I found valuable. Not mm-hmm. all of it's valuable. He's a little full of himself, but whatever. Mm-hmm. There's valuable stuff in there. One of which is the observation that a romantic comedy and a buddy cop movie are exactly the same, mm-hmm. except for the implied sex. That's it. That's yeah. all that makes the romantic comedy different. Every beat is the same beat. And so you see this right now with different fandoms, mm-hmm. right? I don't know if you've heard of the term shipping. No. Shipping. Okay. It's short for relationship. So which two fictional characters do you put in a relationship? Mm -hmm. And people who are interested in this will ship characters together. And people are like, wait, but how does that work? Mm -hmm. Someone's like, it's just fun to think about. And it's the easiest to ship people in that whole buddy cop thing Mm -hmm. as romance because it's all the same beats, right? Mm -hmm. So all you have to do is throw out the window, the implied sex, right? and all of a sudden it's the same story. Yeah. And so I've had just as many people talk about these two characters from a the buddy cop sense as I have people talking about were they going to get together and I'm like I hadn't considered that I have a lot of directions of relationships for characters but I but these particular two and I can't tell you who unfortunately you're gonna have to read the book because unfortunately <laughs> it's a spoiler and so I didn't intend that and this is one of those things like you you get feedback and then that can be positive or negative yeah. so many people try to write a book how many people are like oh I tried once or twice Mm-hmm. Right. Or, oh, yeah, I started some things or, yeah, I wrote something, but I won't let anybody read it. And why does that happen? It, mostly because people are ashamed of what other people are going to think of that work. Yeah. You know, my work was never good enough. And maybe it's still not good enough. I don't know. People are rating it pretty well. Maybe I can have some confidence. I have no idea. <laughs> so the point is, shame stops people from writing all the time. If there's one thing that gets reiterated by the authors that appear on my podcast over and over again, it's the idea that you could write something and it's going to be terrible, but you still just have to write it. You can't judge yourself, put the words on the page, come back later and judge yourself maybe, Mm -hmm. right? Make some additions, make some edits, do what you have to do. But if you sit there and you judge yourself as you write, you're never going to do it. And on top of that, you have to do it a lot. There's nothing that people are good at just straight off the bat. Okay. I guess there are some people, but we don't talk about them because (laughs) they're boring. (laughs) They're, they're, they're one in a million and (laughs) whatever. That's not how all of us have to work. We all have to work for it. Absolutely. And so you're not going to get anywhere unless you do it and you have to do it in order to do it. You have to be willing to fail and look Mm -hmm. like a fool. That's really good advice. Thank you. Yeah. I'm a very stream of consciousness writer. I just write from beginning to end. I start with the first chapter, I write to the end. With Conscript, I started at the beginning and I wrote to the end. And by the end, I was a significantly different writer because mm-hmm. I had written 40 chapters, 100,000 words. Yeah. But I was married to that first chapter. That chapter was so important to me because mm-hmm. it represented the beginning of this trek that yeah. I was on. I didn't mm-hmm. know if I was going to succeed. I don't know if I'd ever get to an end. And that was special to me. Mm-hmm. The problem was, it wasn't a good first chapter. And of course it wasn't a first a good first chapter. It was the first thing that I had written in years. Yeah. So when I was done, I had to go back and rewrite the first chapter. Yeah. And blend everything together again. 
Mm-hmm. But if I judged myself on that first chapter, it never would have gotten there. Yeah. This reminds me of a post I read online, which also inspired me to pick this up and do it again. And that's, I don't know if you've ever heard of Paul Reed Smith. No. No. Okay. So one of my other hobbies is I build electric guitars, right? From parts, right? I don't sculpt the wood or anything like that. I buy all the parts. I put them together. I wire it all up. It's fun. Mm -hmm. It's fun. And so Paul Reed Smith is just this guy who started a guitar business. He -hmm. was building handcrafting electric guitars. Mm -hmm. The thing is though, he has taken that company and built it up to being one of the big three. Oh, wow. Gibson and Fender have been around since the fifties right? If not, yeah, since the fifties, the main innovators in guitars. Mm -hmm. And yet this guy builds himself up to be one of the most respected brands. They charge $10,000 for guitars sometimes. Wow. They're just most epic, crafted, finest materials. And he's online talking to people. And he says, a lot of people say to me, oh, I want to build a guitar, but they never do it. You got to do it. Your first one's going to be terrible, mm-hmm. but the next one will be better. And the next one will be better. And if you keep at it, you're going to do something you can be proud of. And it seems like that's just the way it is for anything creative. You can, you just got to keep doing it yeah, and not get frustrated and mm-hmm. get whatever you can out of whatever it is that you're doing. I think it's a good lesson overall in life. I think that if you keep on doing it, it's that whole try and try again. I look at these people who have started learning a language or started piano lessons in their like seventies. And that's what it is that you just have to keep doing it over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. But whatever that process is, you got to do it. You're don't know how to get someone to do a cover. How do you do that? Well, you got to learn. You may mess up the first time. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I, if there's one thing that we all need to do as authors, we need to stop starting and start finishing. That's really good advice. Yeah. You're into so many different creative things. So can you give us a little bit about Word Crash? Tell us more about that and, and how that all started. Yeah. As you said, it's called Word Crash. It's the Word Crash game show. Mm-hmm. And it's a creative writing podcast masquerading as a game show. They're two guests, but I call them contestants. Mm-hmm. And we play games like drop it, drop mm-hmm. a single letter from the title of a book or movie and tell me what the new plot is. Mm-hmm. And these are collaborative games. Right. There's not actually points. And the, mm-hmm. the people aren't competing against each other, but they're fun games to play. And in the end, I really would like people on Twitter to vote for their favorite. So we end up writing two stories and someone votes on what they think their favorite is. And it, it just goes back and forth with someone comes with what's called an offer. And I have a background in improv comedy. I took classes at Second City. I took classes out here in Portland where I live now. It's a lot of fun. Did I do anything serious? No, but Mm -hmm. it's a lot of fun for me. The point is in improv comedy, you're being creative on the fly. And this creative process of three people talking about things, right? This game is an excuse for an offer. Mm -hmm. So as an example, one person who also has a background in improv comedy did no prep whatsoever. He knew what the category was going to be. He did absolutely no prep. He looks around his room. I can see him looking around his room and he says, let's do, let's drop the D from dark night and do arc night. And he's the security for the people on the arc. So we just, we, I said, okay, what's his relationship to, to Noah? Is he friends? Do the animals talk? 
I sit there, I ask questions and either the contestants can chime in mm-hmm. and add something. And eventually we have a story. We do it for a little while. We have a story. And then we move on to the next one. Like maybe something like character mash, take two characters and mash them together. What's their do? Actually, I got one even better. And then we do another game like squeaky clean. In squeaky clean, you take these gritty novels and movies or comic books or properties, all this like dark and like, oh, and you do an entire reboot as something wholesome and pure. So One of my favorite ideas that helped inspire me is something I read online, which is reboot Game of Thrones as a bunch of edgy teenagers playing Dungeons and Dragons. That sounds great. It's a fun time. So can you tell me a little bit more about the sequels to your first book? Are they out? Are you still working on them? And if you're working on them, do you have a plan soon to publish something? So I can have you back. I'm currently working on the second book mm-hmm. right now. There was Chromaspace Conscript. Then there's going to be Renegade. So I have the entire series planned out as far as titles go. And I know what goes into them. I'm mm-hmm. about halfway through writing the second book. And so about 50 to 60,000 words into it. Mm-hmm. If things go according to plan, then, you know, about a hundred thousand words. I'll hopefully I'll be done with the plot in a hundred thousand words and I'll be getting that to Aaron. And then I'll start on book three on Outlaw. Megan, I could talk to you all day. I'm fascinated by the things that you're writing and all the things that you do and your podcast and full disclosure, I'm going to be a guest sometime soon. Thank you, Casey, so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. So this has been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed having you, Megan. I really appreciate your time. You've been very generous. In speaking with Megan, it was so obvious she has so many creative talents and skills to draw on for her writing. Perhaps the most important advice she offers is her suggestion to keep going. Writing a novel is hard work, but the process teaches us not only about writing, but about the need to persevere. We learn by doing and honing any craft comes from practicing it over and over again. I'm so glad Megan's book saw the light of day and didn't end up stored on a disc somewhere for the rest of eternity. Thanks so much for listening to the Emerging Writers podcast series. There are so many wonderful writers out there with works to explore. Our goal is twofold. We aim to inform and inspire new writers on how to achieve their goals, as well as highlight works by new, undiscovered, or noteworthy authors we admire. Feel free to send us your recommendations, and we'll do our best to take a look. And don't forget to check out the line of writer-themed merchandise that supports our show at twobeanscafe.com, as well as checking out the links for our guest on the show. Join me next time when I interview divorce coach Annie Allen about her podcast, Starting Over Stronger, and the challenges she faced that inspired her upcoming memoir, Onward and Upward.